Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now, and uh, this week's podcast is uh, comes from a, a talk that Ramdas gave, May, no June twenty third, nineteen seventy three. Now uh, he talks a little bit. So this is around when uh, the whole Watergate hearings were going on, impeachment of Nixon. That's really reaching back for uh, many of you. But uh, we were um, ensconced in a, an apartment, Ramdas, myself, uh, and Ramesh Wardas, who is Ramdas's co-writer in his last couple of books, and, um, and my ex-wife, Parvati Marcus. We were working on a, a record set called Love, Serve, Remember. And he mentions stuff in here. He re- refers uh, to uh, watching the Watergate proceedings. And we were doing this and we were watching. It was a huge thing at the time. So it kind of uh, uh, triggered my memory about that time in, in that, uh, uh, that particular summer. And um, we were... Uh, working, as I said, on this record set, and the in- one interesting thing about this is it has not seen the light of day uh, as uh, CDs, and uh, it's something um, that we're working on here at the foundation, so um, you can look forward. There's some amazing phone calls that Ramdas did at the time. Uh, with people asking questions and so on, readings from the third patri- Zen patriarch, uh, Ramayana, um, music. I mean, it's just a, an incredible spiritual hodgepodge. So anyhow, just uh, recalling that. This particular lecture, though, is um, it really is about how everything in one's life is nothing but teachings that uh, uh, allow one to go and uh, back to union with the divine. And uh, it's karma yoga. I mean, so it's the yoga of action. And and uh, so he talks about how everything in his life uh, at, uh, is just simply grace. And that includes all the positive and the negative. And it's... Um, so one interesting thing is, you know, he talks about, there's an in- interesting analogy here to something, uh, to a great Tibetan uh, teacher named Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche that occurred to me as I was listening to this. And, and Ramdas talks about once that thing has happened to bring you into this room. So he's talking about the fact that he's giving this talk in this particular place, which I don't know where it was in the country, uh, it was a tour that he had been on, um, you know, it, it, after we had done this, uh, you know, this work on this record set. And uh, so referring to the fact that uh, one has woken up or one is on the path, uh, you know, consciousness has come into, um, into uh, a person's life. And once that's happened, so he said, once that thing, so that's what that thing is, um, has, you know, so has brought you into this room, um, then, uh, you know, it's, he calls it, it's just mopping up from then on. It's, it's, uh, 
you know, operation from here on out, um, which may take uh, many lifetimes. There's nothing. Uh, it's just purifications, cleaning up, opening up the heart, opening, get the mind calmed down. And just recognizing that, uh, you know, you have taken birth and, and function and that the function of an incarnation is to end suffering, obviously starting with, with uh, yourself and everybody else. So I just happened um, recently to come across this uh, amazing um, quote from Dilgo Kensi, even to hear the teachings is something very rare which only happens once in eons. That you have met the Dharma, and that's the same as Ramdas talking about, once that thing has happened to you, that you have met the Dharma now is not just coincidence. It results from your past positive actions. Such an opportunity should not be wasted. Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, who, uh, one of the great Tibetan lamas, uh, someone very close to my heart, um, that uh, passed uh, not that long ago, maybe 20 years ago, um, or a little bit longer, I'm not quite sure, but uh, certainly a contemporary of His Holiness the Dal Dalai Lama and uh, the 16th Karmapa. So... Uh, uh, he, let's see, he goes on. I mean, I, this is a super important thing to realize, though. Um, you know, we take for granted, many of us that have, uh, that are on the path and have, have uh, become aware of Dharma and have taken actions to uh, self-inquiry at the very least and have entered into, you know, different uh, spiritual practices that how precious this human birth is that we realize this. And, and, and uh, it's something that, uh, you know, I was uh, uh, many years ago when I was with Neem Karoli Baba, when I was with Maharaji, um, and uh, at one point, uh, you know, a very miraculous thing, he, he just told me I was going to have darshan of a particular... Uh, Tibetan Lama named Kala Rinpoche, which I've talked about in other podcasts earlier in these Here and Now podcasts, so I won't go into the details, but just the fact is that Kala Rinpoche at that time, you know, really emphasized the uh, preciousness of the human birth and how um, we, you know, uh, we should, as Dilgo Kenshi says, take this opportunity, this opportunity should not be wasted. Um there's another thing uh, that Ramdas talks about uh, that reminded me of of uh, another teacher of ours. Um, he talks about um, you know doing doing work on on oneself um, is through doing whatever is happening in each moment. So, in other words, that each moment is a teaching that allows us to transform ourselves. But if you if, especially when it comes to spiritual practices uh, and so on, um, not to mention life's work and careers and family and relationships and so on. Um, he said, if I think I'm doing this, then I still have a ways to go. And he's specifically talking about uh, you know, being a teacher and being in the environment. Uh, he's referring to this tour that he set up and, and how every 
minute of it is his opportunity to for transformation. And I remember we had a great mentor um, when we were with Maharaji, and and for many many years after until he left uh, in the in the mid nineties. Uh, his name was K.C. Tuari, another being that uh, I've talked about quite a bit uh, in past podcasts uh, and and so on. And uh, he, uh, I remember so well, he used to say, and he would say, my boy. I mean, he was this incredible yogi. Um, one day, because uh, we have footage of him in, in the archives, in the... Uh, in our media archives and so on, that uh, incredible foot footage uh, uh, that uh, we need to share. Just, uh, you know, more fodder for uh, uh, sharing whatever it is that uh, we have this vast archive is what I'm trying to say, and we need to get it together so we can share it. Um, and that's what the Love, Serve, Remember Foundation is primarily about. Um, but he used to say to us, my boy, if you think you're doing it, you are lost. I'll never forget that. Because he used to say it over and over and over, watching us in our self-involvement and self-interest, uh, you know, day after day after day. Another thing Ram Dass talks about um, in, uh, in, the, in this talk is... Uh, he talks about honoring of Shiva, and he's talking about, uh, you know, what it is to, you know, honor that, uh, um, the opposites. So it's, it's you know, you, you are honoring the, um, you know, the fierce aspects, the terrible aspects uh, of what goes on in this world. And honoring that which is in ourselves as well, the negativity and the positivity, and um, and not to you know, and he talks about not getting caught up in the form of whatever it is you do, just doing it as consciously as as possible, and uh, you know, just the dance of Shiva, the dance of uh, of the positive and negative forces, and. Um, you know, and he says the meaning of honoring Shiva is to give space to all of the forces, to recognize them, to allow them to be, to not try to shove them under the, under the carpet. Um, we have a, you know, so we have a terrible habit of of doing that sort of thing. Anyhow, this whole thing around the honoring of Shiva, um, it uh, recalled. Uh, I. Not sure if uh, uh, you folks out there also listen to uh, this other podcast that we do, uh, myself and my buddy David Silver, called Mind Rolling Podcast. You can check it out, mindrollingpodcast.com. Um, and I, I, had, I have just gotten back from India, now it's a couple of weeks, and uh, mentioned some uh, of uh, a little bit of what uh, I experienced there, and you can check out... Uh, check that podcast out. Uh, but one thing that I uh, it recalled here when we're talking about honoring of Shiva, um, I went to this place called uh, Jageshwar, which I, I did mention in the podcast, uh, which is just permeated with this uh, incredible, peaceful vibration. It's way up in the Himalayan forest. There's hardly any traffic going through this tiny little town, and there's like a 708th century whatever temple that was started in the eighth, uh, Shiva temple there. And it has uh, one of the the 12, 
what's called Jyoti Lingams, light lingams, that were spread around uh, India in the time of uh, uh, Shankaracharya back at that time. And uh, this particular um, temple, uh, ancient temple, in the middle of this Deodar forest, has uh, one of these light lingams. And the one that's there is... Um, is exactly what Ramdas is talking about here. It's the Shiva Shakti. It's the positive nev- negative force of the universe, and in the stone, the Shiva Lingam, which is a stone, it's this ancient stone, is divided, and one half is um, is uh, Devi, and one half is is Shiva. Devi meaning goddess, and uh, so we did um, again uh, talking about. Uh, Tuari, K.C. Tuari, our mentor teacher, his son Sharad was there with his wife Niru, and we uh, were went into uh, the uh, Shiva temple. Uh, my wife and uh, a young woman who was with us, a friend named Rachel, and we did this very. Uh, he d- he knows all of the Sanskrit Sanskrit uh, proper prayers to propitiate uh, the. The, uh, the god Shiva, to honor him, and we did this in. It's like in this ancient, you know, ancient temple. It's very cave-like, and um, and you know, went through the whole ritual thing. But being in this particular place, can you imagine a place that this has been going on for thirteen, fourteen hundred years? Uh, it's very powerful, and um, and it 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 made me understand and recognize, you know, I'm not much into rituals, uh, to be honest. Um, and um, But in this particular case, uh, because of the power of this, of this whole town of Jageshwar and the power of this, I really got an understanding of, of how, of the, of honoring of Shiva, what Ramdas is talking about here, the honoring of the positive and the negative in you know, in the uh, entire environment of our world, especially now, and what that reflection inside ourselves and surrendering into that and surrendering into the the idea of, you know, to the uh, tantra of the female-male principle and the union, the ultimate union of that requires our, um, as, as Ram Dass says, to recognize and give space to all the forces, to allow them to be, to not shove them under the rug. And um, it, it, so it was a, a wonderful uh, teaching, um, being there, and uh, something I would wish any of you guys listening out there, uh, you know, to experience. Uh, it, it was very special. And uh, again, you know... Um, this is all internal work, ultimately, and possible anywhere. And uh, as, as Ramdas so eloquently talks about in this lecture, it's just a matter of bringing consciousness to whatever path that we take. It can be the path of, of uh, Gyan Yoga, um, Hatha Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, uh, whatever it is, it's just a matter of being bringing the right consciousness to whatever the practice is that we're doing. So very powerful uh, a talk in, in that way of just, you know, uh, allowing everything that uh, we encounter on a day-to-day b- basis to be part. Uh, it is nothing but teacher and nothing but grace to bring us uh, closer to union.
so here it is. Uh, oh, and, you know, uh, again, I, I, I have to uh, encourage people to keep supporting um, Love Server Member Foundation through Ramdas.org. You can go to Ramdas.org, and there's um, plenty of opportunity to download different talks or different videos and, uh, and, and make a, a donation to support, you know, just like I w- we need to be pulling. We're about to get this huge, um, uh, a big truck of actual, um, you know, decades more of, of talks and, you know, Ramdas. You know, some of this is not just Ramdas, but it's Ramdas with other, you know, eminent teachers and so on. And uh, part of this is, uh, you know, I was just talking about. I'd love to share this, uh, these wonderful videos with this Casey Tuari, our mentor. Um, just uh, an amazing, amazing person. And uh, to do that, we need your support, and we've gotten a bunch of support. And as you can see on the website. Uh, in the media library, how rich the content is there, and and it's uh, becoming, you know, larger and larger and more searchable, and and so on, uh, making it easier for everybody, and also making it applicable to smart phones and tablets and so on and so forth, where where more of us these days are, uh, you know, taking advantage of. So enough of that. Thanks for whatever your support has been in the past, and, and we thank you for future support. Go to ramdas.org, and uh, this is Ramdas here and now. To let you in on the secret of the game from where I'm sitting perceptually, the universe that I live in has only two beings left in it. There is who I still think I am, who I think I am, Okay, that's the illusion. And there's, oh, Sam. (laughs) You can call Sam God, or you can call Sam Guru, or you can call Sam whatever you'd like. I call it Guru. And as far as I can understand it, my universe, the universe of the illusion of who I think I am, exists solely for the purpose of bringing me to it, to the guru. That is, that everything that is happening to me, that has happened to me, or that could happen to me, is a teaching being given to me as grace to bring me to the guru. Not just sitting in satsang, but tripping on the rock as you walk down the path. It's all of it, the teaching, if you can flip around and see it that way. Now, under those conditions, karma yoga takes on quite a different aspect. As I'll point out in the brief time that's left to me by my inner clock. So deciding to do this tour, I decided, all right, I'm really going to do it to myself. I mean, if you're going to do karma yoga, really do it. Don't just screw around. Do it. So I took a big map, and I laid out all these lecture dates in terms of, of um, schedule and geography. And I got to the point where I had scheduled myself to lecture in a different city every night. 
for two months, and then in the third month, I started to loosen up a little bit. So I was only doing, say, one every three nights. So I started, and I went up the coast of California and Washington, Seattle, and Portland, Olympia, Seattle. Everywhere I went, either Swamiji had just been or was about to be, it turned out. I'd get to a place, and they'd say, you know who slept in this bed last night? <laughs> but the difference between us is he doesn't do it as karma yoga. He's just doing it, because he is it. He is the statement of the yoga, and I understood that's what karma yoga is about. Not to say, I am serving, but to become the service. You become what I, here's what happens. See, I started out, and every night, here's the routine. Every day, you get up, have your morning uh, beverage, as it was said last night, which for me is coffee. Um, <laughs> Sometimes a bagel. <laughs> okay, then you go to the airport. You go through security, open your bags. You go and you get on an airplane and you sit in the airplane for so many hours. The plane lands, you get off the plane, you walk down the uh, runway gangplank and you walk, whatever it is, and you walk into the hall and there are these beings saying, oh, Ram Das, Ram Das, and you say, how do you do? And they take you, you pick up your bag, they take you to where you're staying. You either do some press conferences or radio stuff or meet a group and then at three o'clock I take a nap because I say to everybody I had hepatitis and I have to protect my liver and I go to nap for a few hours, then I get finished. Then there is dinner, which is usually some kind of a satsang gathering, very beautiful potluck thing somewhere, and we all get together. It's very lovely. Around 7.30, move to the lecture hall. I sit down, tune up the tambora or the get the shruti box ready, whatever it is. Work with the musicians that have gathered to help me out. 8 o'clock, I start. At 11 or 12, I stop. I'm delivered back to the hotel or motel or room. I take my peanut butter and crackers and my milk, drink that, look at the late news, go to bed, get up the next morning, meditate for a few minutes, have my coffee, go to the airport, go through security, get on the plane, get off the plane, pick up my bag, say hello, namaste. Have you got the microphone? I prefer a mini boom because I have a beard and when the lavalier is there, you can't hear through the beard. Oh yes, I understand. <laughs> I need a cushion because I, yes, of course, go to the, take the rest, go have supper, go to the lecture. Next morning, get up, have your coffee, go to the airport, go through security. It's no different than working at a lathe, see? You know, every day you get up and you lecture now, uh, what happens is, I saw that the only way to survive, I started to get sicker and sicker and sicker, first of all, because the schedule was grueling. And by the time I got to Vancouver, I didn't have any voice, which was funny. I mean, I was about to head for Anchorage, Alaska, and I didn't have any voice left to speak. And I was sitting over a hot vaporizer and, you know, doing the whole thing, mantra and everything. <laughs> saying to Maharaji, what do you have in mind now? It's pretty far out. How am I going to speak without a voice? And he had said to me in India, he says, there's going to come a time when you're not going to want to lecture anymore. See? And I kept repeating that to myself, and I kept saying, this must be the time. But I still wanted to do it. Because 
Quite honestly, what I'm working with is power and fame and all these worldly things that are connected with exactly when Swamiji said, who doesn't know Ram Dutz? Of course, and everybody applauds. And, and what am I supposed to go through then? You know, you know like it's... Like if 40 people come to see me at a day in the farm in New Hampshire, I get stoned out of my head from the satsang and I walk in and my father says to me, had a pretty good crowd today. See? Like he's counting cars, see? 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 I mean, that's a cultural background that I come out of, you know? And I've got to work with that all the time. That's my work. You've got to understand what karma yoga really is. It's working with your desires right in the middle of the fire, right in the field. It's dying into the thing. It's dying into the service. So that I was becoming, I realized that the only reason I was getting fatigued and wiped out and physically run down was because I still wanted something. Like after a beautiful satsang, I'd be just partly in my body. I'd just be sort of floating around and we'd all be staying. Nobody wanted to go home, that place where nobody wants to leave. Somebody would come up and say, see, I have a beautiful place just a few miles out of town and there'll be about 10 of us and we'll cook a beautiful thing. Why don't you come on back now? It's around 12 o'clock at night. Now I know if I go back, that's at least till four in the morning. Next morning, there's the airplane, the security, the coffee. That's not going to change, see. So I realized that as long as I desired to go, and I'd say to them, oh, I wish I could go, but I can't. And I remembered, oh, that's what I hated about time. Time kept making me turn off life. And then I thought, no, time is merely making me turn off my desires. All I have to do is just desire to become the pure instrument of service, that's all. I'm going to become like one of those 747 planes. Not like the pilot, but like the plane. Somebody gets in the plane and moves it from here to here. It doesn't say, oh boy, I'm flying to New York. Or, or I bet I'll be big in Denver. You know, It's just an airplane. You move it from here to there and it does its thing. It goes, and it just flies. And I recognized that for me to understand the exquisiteness of karma yoga was going to mean that I could do this every single day until there was nobody doing it at all. It was just being done every day. Every day there was just the moving, the flying, and it was all sadhana. There wasn't one tiny bit of it. You come up to the security guard and the guard sees you as a potential bomber, you know? That's Maharaji, that's my guru, who's just taken through central casting, gone to the costume department, and he's come out as the guard, and he's saying to you, well, see if you can see through me this time. See? Do you know I'm God in here, or do you think I'm a security guard? Are you so paranoid that you're busy reacting, saying, I'm not the bomber, I'm not the bomber? I'm a nice guy. And everybody I meet every day is the guru in drag, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> See? 
And the sickness and the fatigue and all of it is the grace. It's all the grace. It's all the grace. It's all the grace. There is nothing left in my life other than teachings that are going to bring me to God. It's the only game in town. Nothing else has any meaning. What else am I going to make meaningful? Just as I make it meaningful, like I'm busy watching the Watergate, I can't wait for Dean to get on the stand. You know? And at the same moment, I'm sitting inside saying, you can't wait for Dean to get on the stand. Because let me tell you that once that thing has happened enough to bring you into this room, as far as I'm concerned, it's all over. Now it's the mopping up operation, which may take many lifetimes. It's all purification from here on out. It's just cleaning up. It's getting your body together, getting your heart open, getting your mind calmed down. And understanding that a conscious being recognizes that she or he has taken birth and the function of an incarnation is to end suffering. And that means wherever it exists, on any plane it exists at, and you recognize that the optimum thing you to do to end suffering is to work on yourself, and how you work on yourself depends on your dharma. What is your route through? And for me, my work on myself is through doing what I'm doing this minute. If I think I'm doing this, I've still got a way to go. Until this is just being done, and I'm just as much part of the audience as you are. Am I attached to being the speaker? Am I looking for the rush of your appreciation? Now, the honoring of Shiva, it's now five minutes past, I will allow us five more minutes. The honoring of Shiva, it's easy when you talk about Shiva, you know, over there in India, with his ashes and his, you know, all his buddies he hangs out with that are so scary, you know, and his wife, oh my God, Kali, wow, wow, jeez, far out. That's easy. Then you can bring it over here and you say, well, I look at pollution and, and look at lying and stealing in government and look at murder and paranoia and rape and, oh, boy, that's Shiva. But get a little closer still when you're ready and realize that in you are all those forces as well. The Bhagavad Gita is talking about an inner battle, an inner battle. The battle between that voice that says Kung Fu and broccoli with some sauce on it, and the guy that says, I want to watch Kung Fu, and I want to have the broccoli. <laughs> That's the battle, those two guys. And that goes on and on and on and on, and everything you do, you know, when people come to me and they say, should I do this or do that? And I know that as a good yogi, I'm supposed to say good yogic things like, 
do this, or stand on your head, or something like that. But I must honestly admit, what I mainly say to people, it doesn't matter. Because whatever you do, you'll do as consciously or as unconsciously as you are. Do it all to bring yourself to God. Don't get caught in the form you're going to do it in. Just do it. And as you come closer to God, you find out, in fact, there are only certain things you can do, because you can't do things which increase illusion. You can't do things which increase suffering. You just can't do them, because they're just too absurd. It's like taking needles and sticking them in your hands. Why are you going to do them? If I screw you, I'm just screwing myself. Who am I hurting? It's only us. That's where I'm sitting. I've got this, just this little economic uh, story that's fun. It's just a little fun image to play with. Um, I've talked about before. My uh, father heard that we were putting out some records very cheaply, and we were lowering, trying to lower prices of things and doing everything very economically, and that I was not trying to collect and amass money. And he says, what's the matter? Are you against capitalism? This is the ex-president of a railroad, right? So I said, no, Dad, I'm not against capitalism. For you, I think it's great. It's just not my style. He says, I don't understand you. I said, well, uh, that I understand. We, it's interesting. We love each other incredibly, even though we're on different trips, because compassion doesn't mean you lay your trip on anybody else. It means you become it so perfectly that you become the light that draws. You don't go out and say, come on, Dad, wake up. But I said, I'll try to share with you, since you don't understand, I'll try to explain. I said, didn't you just try a case for Uncle Henry? He's a lawyer. He says, yeah. I said, you win it? He says, damn right I didn't. It was a tough case. I said, boy, uh, you worked a lot on it. He says, I sure did. I said, I bet you charged him a big fee. He says, of course not. It's my brother-in-law. I said, well, that's my predicament. See, everybody's my brother-in-law. Like, who am I going to rip off? Okay. And he could hear that. See, he could hear that out of a Jewish middle-class background. He could hear family you do one thing with, and them you do something else with, see? Okay. And if he's Meshuggah enough so the whole thing is his family, that's, you know, he's a good kid anyway. You know, so. In conclusion, <laughs> when you leave this place and this blessing, this mitzvah, when you leave this, I can assure you that you will come down. to further tell you, although you may forget it, that that is as much of the teaching as this is. And the down and up is all part of the dance. And the game is not to get high, but the game is to be. And be includes highs and lows until you're no more attached to your high than you are to your low. There's bliss, there's depression. 
There it all is. There's the whole panorama of Maya. All the positive states and negative states. It's all more stuff. Divine stuff, the Leela. And in it all, here we are. Here we are. And the, uh, the meaning of honoring Shiva is to give space to all these forces, to recognize them, to allow their being, to not try to shove them under the rug. There is a terrible habit we have of getting holy too fast. Intellectually, we know where holy is, and we figure out, well, I want to be like Swamiji, so I'll put on those clothes and I'll act like that. And you do it from outside in. You can't do this game from outside in. You can play at it, but you're going to keep that inner voice is going to keep being horrified by your hypocrisy. And then you say, well, I'm really nowhere. And the statement, I'm really nowhere, is the recognition of being somewhere. That is it. See, people come to me and say, I'm no good. I'm depressed. I'm, or I hate everybody. And I said to them, well, if you hated everybody, you wouldn't tell me you hate everybody. You know? It's that story I've told about. I am now two minutes over, because I have lack of self-control. <laughs> it's nearly over. It's OK. I've nearly run out. Some years back at Millbrook, um, a girl called in the middle of the night, and she had taken some mysterious chemical and, uh, in Los Angeles, and she was freaked. And she called up, and she got me in the line, and she said, I've gone crazy, and I'm going to kill myself, and I'm insane. And she laughed hysterically, and she, did it. she showed me she was insane. And I said to her, well, um, I said to her, well, who dialed the phone? You know, the four digits and the three digits and the three digits and the one digit and gave the number and the whole thing. She said, I did. I said, well, would you put her on the phone? Because you're crazy. me say that once you have tasted, once you've touched, once the connection's been made, once we have acknowledged each other's existence, once we know we're here, you can't get away. You can't get away. You may go under really deep and feel, I've lost it. And then you'll see yourself standing there, I've <laughs> lost it. And you'll break up. Oh, have I lost it. Oh, am I depressed? You know get bored. Oh, I'm bored. Oh, I'm so bored. Oh, I'm bored. See, and then you let yourself be bored. Oh, I'm still bored. Still bored. I'll try to meditate. Now I'm bored with that. You know, I'm bored. I'm bored. Oh, I'm so bored. Oh, oh and everything's boring. Nothing's... Ugh. Yuck. And then you become totally bored, and if you become bored, and then it's done. See, the game is, if you're so afraid of all the Shiva forces, you keep pushing them away, they keep clinging. It's very interesting to use the golden chain to pull yourself out of the mud, what's called the sattvic chain. 
of being good and pure and doing good and pure things. It's good to help you get out of a lot of other stuff, but remember you're holding on to a chain and that chain can bind too. And to get caught in good and evil, while you're using good and evil as a method, just remember that behind good and evil we are. Behind good and evil we are. Shiva and Ram are two more faces of that which is indescribable and unknowable and unseeable, but only beable. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.